This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. The show continues to grow so fast, and keep those DMs coming. I love to hear how our guests' conversations are helping you in your career. Keep sharing those stories with me, because I, I, I love hearing them. I'm excited to bring another guest to you that's going to have a lot more messages come my way, and I know he's going to have your mind be spinning by the time we're done. Doug C. Brown is a CEO of CEO Sales Strategies. Doug helps sales leaders and salespeople all around the world learn and adopt the principles of the most successful salespeople in the world. He's the creator of the Top 1% Academy, where he trains on how to sell to buyers of all kinds and how to be in the top 1% of sales earners in the world. Now, Doug's got all the credentials. He's coached. He's consulted, he's advised companies and thousands of people at iconic organizations, including Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Nationwide, Intuit, Procter & Gamble, and CBS Television. He's also served as an independent president of sales and training for Tony Robbins, Chet Holmes, Russ Whitney. And when he was there, they, closed, they, they raised the close rate for the sales presenting teams by 157%. And no, that is not a typo. Win rates up by 157%, as well as increasing sales for one of their product lines by 4,150% in just the first six months. And as you might guess, that resulted in tens of millions of dollars over time. So if you haven't figured it out, I'm pumped for this conversation. This guy is cut from my cloth. This is, this is a person that should have been in the Sales Leadership Podcast a long time ago. So let's get after it. Doug, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Rob, thanks so much for having me here. I'm so grateful to be here today. We're going to have a good time today. We've got 50,000 people that are in for a treat with you, Doug. I'm, I'm really, really excited for this one. So thanks for giving us an hour of your time in advance. I appreciate it. Well, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad you gave me an hour of your time too. So thanks so much. 
<laughs> Why don't you start by telling us about your firm, CEO Sales Strategies, and what you guys do for your customers? Yeah, well, CEO Sales Strategies, we teach people all around the world uh, the number one and two things uh, that are the most important, that I believe anyways, in business, which is client acquisition, how to get more clients, and how to do it more profitably. So, you know, a lot of times people sell at a loss. We don't want that happening. So we want, uh, how do you get more clients and how do you do it more profitably? I love that. You had me at hello. That's a Jerry Maguire. You had me at hello. How do you get more clients? How do you more profit? I hope we have 50,000 people are going, oh, wow. Okay. Before we dive into it, what led you to sales and, and, and deciding to work with sales leadership teams to do both of those things? Well, the first thing is uh, what led me there was my kind of my childhood through the process okay. because uh, yeah. you know, I started working at the age of three for my dad, you know. Um, Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I started out, I started out sweeping floors, but, but it was awesome because I got 25 cents a week. And, you know, back then candy was only a, a penny, a, a handful. So, you know, I could get all kind of diabetic coma by the end of the week, you know, on, on my winnings. Um, but uh so we worked with my dad's business. By the age five, six, we started getting uh, tossed out in front of clients and helping them write orders, of course, with a little bit of help. Um, and that's kind of what started the whole process of me selling, because as I look back on it, I, you know, I'd get a part for $3 and I, I'd sell it for $6. And, you know, by the time I was five and a half, six, I was getting, you know, all of 50 to 75 cents an hour. So my, my wow. five or six, you know, year old brain went, okay, I just made three dollars in 10 minutes selling this one part or you know whatever and i'm worked a whole hour to make 50 cents so that's six hours so it's kind of like my brain started processing leverage and as the company grew and as i grew up you know we all worked my whole family worked for the company um but my dad got sick i had a heart attack actually and i ended up taking the company Gosh. when i was 17 and wow. uh and growing the company and quite frankly, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I just got in there and did two things, client acquisition, increase the profits. <laughs> so that's, um, so that, that's what I focused on on that. When he came back to his company, um, it was a far more profitable company and it had more clients. And he was like, well, what'd you do? So I told him and we sort of embraced that. Throughout that whole business process of working for my dad, I, I always had side businesses too. So I, you know, always had side businesses since the age of pretty much eight all the way up. And what I realized again in those businesses, even like I had a paper route where I would go get other people who had paper routes and I would take their paper route and then get other guys to work for me. So I guess that's my first sales leadership, right? That was, that was kind I of love it. back then. Um, because Tom I wasn't Sawyer's got nothing on you, man. Tom Sawyer's got nothing on you. <laughs> well, I wasn't old enough to get a paper route because you had to be like 13 or so to get the paper route. And I wasn't that age, so I couldn't legally get a paper route. So I, my brain went, okay, how do I get clients? How do I get money? And so that was it. I took that and I started my own little paper route agency, I guess. And, uh, and so I just kind of continued from there. I went into the military at 19, came out of there. Like everybody who I was taught, get, you know, go back to school, you know, get a real job, so to speak. Yep. Um, and I did that for about 10 years. And then while I was doing that, I got a couple of degrees and I came out of school and I was working at a hospital and then something clicked because going through school, I was selling music equipment to a lot of like very famous bands. And 
when I got out of the, the thing, I looked at my, what they wanted to pay me in the hospital. And I don't know why I didn't get this earlier, but I realized I was making more selling music equipment and having a heck of a lot more fun. So I went back into corporate sales at that point. And I still had my side businesses. And I just, it, one thing grew into another as I was helping clients, more clients. I ended up helping training companies. I ended up uh, helping a guy named Jay Conrad Levinson, who wrote a book series called Guerrilla Marketing. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Blast from the past. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that worked so well. He introduced me to Chet Holmes, who wrote a book called The Ultimate Sales Machine. I started out working for Chet, quickly build my way up. And then it just kind of exploded from there because Chet and Tony Robbins got together. So then I became their president of training and sales over time. Um, and then just, you know, the numbers. And once the numbers started going up, people started see seeking me out, Rob. So whether it was Intuit or Procter & Gamble or whatever, you know, those companies, we, we did them all, CBS television and different ones. I love it. Thank you for sharing your story because you do. Like we, we could have a whole show just on the, bl the blow by blow of these iconic places you've been. And I, I'm, I really would love to dive into selling, selling music to some of the bands that you sold to. Like you have a pretty cool who's who's list of some of the bands you sold to. I, I'm a guitar player. So I, I, oh, wow. I, I would love that. Yeah. So, um, but I want to get into this for a minute. I, you make a really bold claim and I love the bold claim that you help develop the top 1% earners. Strong claim. I love it. It speaks to me. I hope it's speaking to 50,000 leaders around the world that are listening right now because I believe that our role is to develop people first and then accomplishments come second. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to start our conversation with that. Like, I want to get your take on what's the role that a leader has in developing the most successful salespeople? Because I know the salespeople have to do the work, but how much, how much of the role is, how important is it for the leader to say, my job is to develop the best people? Like, how, does it start there? How important is it? Like, I know a, leader, a rep can do it without a leader, but if you got a leader that's there, what kind of an advantage does that create? Yeah, well, to me, it's 100 out of 100, right? Because, I mean, you take the, you take the greatest sports teams out there and you look at who's running the company and you'll see that it's not just the coach. The coach is looking for those people, but you'll find, you know, general management looking for that, presidents looking for that. I mean, so in a sales organization, it's really the opera level that needs to drive this from the top down. And so, you know, I mean, if we took that sales analogy and we said, okay, we want a, I don't know, a, a, a quarterback, right. For, for a football team or whatever. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's going to be a handful of names that come to your head. Um, you know, Tom Brady would be one of those, uh, yeah. not, not just because I'm a new, new England fan, uh, although Tom went to Tampa, so we could have that conversation, but um, it, you know, that type of person is a one percenter and people can see that in sports. Right. You could see, a, you know, a Wayne Gretzky from hockey or a Patrice Bergeron from hockey or whatever. That is just over and over. You could pick out the people um, that were number one players in whatever sport. That's analogous to how salespeople are in the top one percent. So if we're the recruiting agency, which is we are the company, it's our number one focus. When it comes to selling to get us the top people that we can bring in. I mean, no one ever got fired for saying, you know, I hired the best and most expensive consultant, right? Um, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, if you walked into the office and said, hey, boss, I got the cheapest consultant at the best budget rate we could ever get, you know, they'd be like questioning it, right? But if you get the top 1%, 
that speaks volumes. So if we can get a whole team of top one percenters in there, you do magical things and, you know, things grow. But what I love about what you just said is it's not just recruiting the best people. I have to get the best quarterback to your point, but it's also get the most out of them, create the environment where they can thrive. And and I love that mindset. Here's why I asked the question. I I, I coach a lot of leaders. um, And I had one talking to me last week saying, man, you know, what I'm really frustrated with is, you know, I'm thinking of this team that did 140% of goal, but when they hit the end zone, they coasted. They could have had 250 if they'd wanted to easily, but their mindset was get to quota and stop. What I think you're talking about is looking past the quota. Is, is, is there anything to that? Yeah. One percenters don't look at quota. They, they don't, it's not even a 1% earner will think, okay, quota is just kind of there, but I don't pay attention to it. I want to make a million dollars a year, $5 million a year, whatever the number is for the industry, right? For some people, that's, I want to make $500,000 a year, you know, depends on where they live, where they are uh, and where, what they work in. But the reality is the number is just the number, but one percenters don't look at quota as, oh, I got to hit quota to hit my job. And when I hit quota, I coast because, you know, you have a top producer who meets a overachiever. That is the kind of the trait, right? So a top producer goes, okay, I'm always going to be producing an article of exchange at the top. And an overachiever goes, I'm going to excel and beat out any record continuously. So you marry those two personalities together and you get what I call an elite performer. And that elite performer is just never going to say, oh, this is cool. You know what I mean? Oh, I, you know what? I'm 112% over quota this month. I think I'll take some time down, you know, Occasionally they'll do that, but for the most part, Rob, they're going to go. You know what? That next pin level, man. If I get if I get to one hundred and sixty percent quota this month, I get this recognition. I get this bonus. I get that. I can take my spouse and go here. I can buy a new car. I can do whatever. And it's not always material goods, but the reality is they are never satisfied with quota. Quota is a starting place. They look at people. They go, eh, amateurs. You know, that's how they kind of think. <laughs> Oh, the reason I'm glad you're talking about this is because I also believe that um, teams are a reflection of leaders. Now, some people are, like you said, I love your definition, top producer plus overachiever equals, you know, top 1% or equals elite performer. I love it. I want to dive into your elite performer recipe as part of this. You got my attention on that. But I, but I think that I have to think that if you want to be someone who attracts those kinds of people, you have to have some of that mindset yourself or no. Yes. I would say that's, it's extremely helpful. I, I, when you asked the question, I went, geez, do I know anybody who doesn't have that trait, right? They're just kind of laid back and they let it ride. Um, I don't personally um, because it's all about personal performance with an elite producer. So hmm. if, if we don't have the same environment at the top, they don't hang around, right? They, they, they can't. It's kind of like going in and saying, okay, let's go, you know, they're, they're, they're top stream in their head, right? They're looking at it as like, hey, I'm, I'm, at, I'm, I'm climbing to the top of the mountain. When I get at the mountain, we're going to bring some earth up from the bottom of the mountain. We're going to make the mountain higher so we can climb higher. That's how they keep thinking. So if they've got somebody that's going, well, you know what, middle of the mountain, you know, hey, cool, that's that's your management style. They're gonna, they're just gonna leave, they, they, right? Because these people are getting offers all the time, so they're constantly looking for growth, and they can't help themselves. 
And, and I know this because I'm one of them that, you know, it's not because I'm being braggadocious or arrogant. When I have a team and I still have a sales team, I'm still the number one guy. Let's go. Like, like they're not going to beat me. And if they ever do, it just drives me nuts. Right. I'm like, all right, they got me this month, next month, forget it. It's not going to happen again. Right. <laughs> and so we're just constantly raising the bar, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we did, um, we did a campaign for, for a client one time and, and I, I took part and I said, okay, we're going to, we're going to do really well here. Uh, and they all went, yeah, we'll do this. We'll do that. Uh, no, we're doubling that number. Right. Like it was kind of like that. And lo and behold, we actually blew out that number. So the, the reality is to your point, you got to have the leaders at the top. I, I didn't know Steve jobs and I don't know what he was like as a human being. A lot of people say that, you know, he was a different type of guy, Yeah. but I can tell you he was a driver, right? He was the guy that said, you know what, we're going to put these computer chips in and we're going to make them straight. And we're going to, you know, hold this high excellence. And, you know, Apple didn't become what Apple is today without somebody like that. And <clears throat> I do know one of the top producers that was at Apple for 10 years, he was the number one guy. And they constantly were in what we're talking about in this upgrading mode consistently. Um, and, and the reason behind that is because top producers will hit quota and stay overachievers will never do that. So if you get the two blends together, you're going to get somebody who's just going to create an article of exchange, but never be satisfied. Even if they hit 150% quota, they're going to go oh, If I did that. I could probably do 165 or 200 or 300 or whatever. Right. Love it. All right. That's a perfect place to start. So we got a whole bunch of people that I, I hope they're challenging themselves on what's their approach to quota, for example, that's a good place to start. Maybe we'll circle back to that, but I want to dive into what you do now. You know, you are a developer of top 1% sales earners, these elite performers. When you take that, that this is what I want to do, where do you start? Because that's easy to talk about, but I got to imagine doing that's a totally different thing. So, well, a little bit, but first we have to define what we want, right? That's point okay. one. Because a 1% earner, it, it's where, where, what's that definition of a 1% earner for that particular company or that particular individual, right? So I'll give you an example. For some people, let's say, I don't know, I'm not picking on West Virginia, but this was a statistic I remember, right? In West Virginia in the United States, I believe a top 1% earner in that state earns, I think it's $352,000 or $342,000 a year, one or the other, right? Okay. But if you take that same person, uh, same, same concept and apply that in the state of, say, Connecticut, now you're going to have to make $960,000 a year, right, to be a top 1% earner. Okay. But if we go to, say, Great Britain, I think it was 14,800 British pounds a month put you into the top 1%, right? So it just, you know, if you're in South Africa, it's going to be a different currency. If you're in Poland, yeah. it's going to be a different but right. Doug, what I love is that you're not like saying, hey, let's work hard and see how good we can do. No, I'm gonna make I'm gonna I'm gonna make a million bucks this year. I'm gonna make 960 mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We're gonna put that, we're not afraid of the goal. We're gonna sit it out. We're gonna be like Neo in the Matrix that takes that bullet, looks right. at it from side to side all around. It's like, oh, that's I got that. Like I really think there's that's that's important, but I don't know that a lot of people actually have a leader that takes them through that. It's like, let's talk about your plan to quota. It's so much more interesting to say, 
you want to earn how much this year? Let's talk about that because right. I call what you call what you're doing. I have a name for it. I call it enrollment. Like I'm signing up, I'm chasing something, you know, like what am I chasing? So you're like, I'm getting like all fired up right now as I listen to you. And so is it that simple? Just pick a number and then we're chasing or is there more to it? Well, than that? well I mean, you pick a number and, but you got to make sure it's, it's achievable too. Right. I mean, within, you know, so that's as you a do leader, that? we got to make sure. That How do you do that? Well, we got to a make sure the the compensation plan will actually accommodate it, right? Because there are some compensation plans that are throttled down, so they can never yep. get above, right? Hundred so, percent. If that's a compensation plan like that, you you're not going to keep one percenters. Yeah, you, know? you got to find another job. Right, right, and that's what they will do. They will get to that level. They go, okay, you know, I got eight other offers or six other offers on the table, and they'll bail. And the, you know, the cost of turnover is is high, especially when you got a really good producer that's going on. Because, you know, Rob, you and I both know these people many times will take their relationships with them to, a, to another place, sure. right? Sure. So we have to make sure the compensation plan. So A, it's great to pick a number. B, is the company set up to actually handle the wild stallions that are going to be running through the fields, right? <laughs> because if the company is not set up to be a place for 1% earners, then 1% earners aren't going to stay. They'll come in and flush out. In fact, when you look at, when I look at statistics and I talk to these people, you know, 70% of them will say, um, or seven out of 10 will say, I left the job quickly because it was misrepresented. Wow. Right. And they don't mean misrepresented as they came in and they thought they were going to, you know, see cats and there were only dogs there. They come in and they see, cats and dogs and llamas and giraffes and everything else. And then they're like, it's unclear about what the targets are. They don't have the support system in place that that was said. Right. And a lot of times this rolls back to the actual attraction of the ad. We could talk about that if you want. And, but on that level, are we set up to handle these people? Because the reality is they're, they're going to be entrepreneurial within a organizational structure. So they're going to create a little bit of chaos at times. Okay. <laughs> and I'll give you an example. When I worked, uh, I worked for a company called Paytech Communications. That was the job that I took <clears throat> after the, the music job, after the, the hospital, when I was like, forget it, I'm not doing this anymore. Yep. And we had a technology that back then you could, you used to have a long distance local and uh, data telecommunications yeah. T1s, right? We yeah. had a technology that blended all three of them together. Okay. So, so it was a cool thing. I didn't know anything about telecommunications. So I was like, I got to learn this. So I went out and got two telecom, oh, three actually, telecommunications engineering books. And I read them over the weekend. Wow. Uh, I respect you engineers a great deal. I was bored silly. But the, <laughs> the reality is I had to learn the speak, right? That type of thing. Now, once I realized what the technology would do, I realized that there was something back then called a uh, a point to point line, which was a, a mega and a half of bandwidth, which people today go, that's crazy, a mega and a half of bandwidth. I mean, you get two gigs today, no problem. But back then that was expensive for companies. Sometimes companies were paying 800 to $2,000 just for this circuit. But I realized wow. that we could take two circuits together and tie them together and just tie pieces because most of the companies only needed like four channels instead of all the 24 channels. So I, in my brain, I went, okay, I'll go sell this. So I did. I went out and sold six companies. 
let's go. Some couple of major companies <laughs> and, and, and I call them tie lines. And so I bring them back and I put the orders in. And the next thing I hear is the sales engineers screaming my name with expletives all over the place. And I knew it was going to happen because they didn't have a product set. So they came in, they said, what is this? And I told them, I said, I called them tie lines. They go, we don't have that. I said, we do now. <laughs> Anyways, it created such a disruption <laughs> that the CEO of the company called me and he said, how'd you figure this out? I said, well, I, it will technically work, right? He goes, yeah, it will. We never thought about it. And, and, and I said, well, can we do it? And he goes, yeah, but do me a favor. I said, what? Anytime you do something like this again, call me first, will you? Now, this is a CEO of a, you know hundreds of millions of dollars of companies. Um, and so that's what they will do. They'll bring innovation all over the place, Rob. They will push the limits. They will, but they will, they will come into play the way they're supposed to play as long as they have a system that's set up for it. Love it. Okay. That's awesome. So not only like, that's another one that I like how you said that these top one percenters will cause chaos. I wrote that down. I, I, I love that, that idea um, because they're going to find ways to win. So we got to make sure it's not just the mindset of helping. We got to create an environment where they can thrive and they can succeed. Absolutely. And the environment something you probably have to be pretty intentional about. I would imagine. Without question, because if not, they'll do things like I did. They'll say, yeah. Oh, I can sell a product set and they'll go out and do that. Um, I was talking to a gentleman, his name is Mr. Ray, uh, Raymond Zinn, and he was the longest serving CEO of Silicon Valley. And he actually okay. went in and sold a Silicon chip before it was actually there. <laughs> I like this guy. I don't even know him. And I love him. That's a fantastic <laughs> story. I love it. He's the guy's awesome. I mean, he sold his company and, uh, you know, he's like 82, right? 83 right now, but he sold his company, uh, you know, billions of dollars. But the reality is that, you know, Top 1% earners, they don't ask, how could we? They ask, how can we, <laughs> right? When they're determined to get something, they'll ask, how can we? And, and you can see these traits in a child a lot of times, Rob. They'll just ask a question, right? And if they don't get the right answer, they'll go to another person and ask the right, you know, ask another person and ask another person. Sometimes they can be disruptive though, because they'll go to mom and, or dad and they'll say, hey, can we do this? And, and they go, no, I don't think so. And then they'll go to mom and they'll say, mom, can we do this? <laughs> And mom goes, yeah, sure. And then off the kid yeah. goes, right? <laughs> I like that. Uh, that so, let, so, so let's say that we now have that right mindset in the leader. We have that right environment. So now let's go to the rep. How much of it is mindset in a rep? Is, 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 is that a starting point? Is that a big deal? Or is that like pick your number and let's go? Well, I, it is pick your number as long as they're committed. So the, the, the thing is we got to get a committed goal, not just a, oh, I think, right? I mean, so when, what I ask them is that they'll say, hey, I want this number. And I go, yeah, if you don't hit that number, what would be this number? Right. And so if they drop from that number, I know it's not a committed number. Hmm. Right. Your definition of committed number. Like I said, we got 50,000 people listening and I hope they're really liking this because before you answer the question, Doug, I'll tell you why. I think that most reps say that the coaching they get from their leaders is un, not that helpful. Yeah. And if all you did was get their mindset in an exciting place, I think you've done them a favor, right? Well, th th that's that's more than half the game, right? So the, the mindset around this, or I would say the mind conditioning around this is more than half the game. 
because we can pick a number. And if we uh, grew up in an environment, let's say, that wasn't conducive to actually like hitting that number would equal pain. Yeah. Yes. Th then what, what our brains will do is they'll go, oh, geez, you know what? We'll start to justi justify and rationalize why we can't get there. So, so firstly, you know, that huge, you know, desire to get to some is great, but we have to have commitment to get there because it isn't easy until you learn how to do it. Then it gets easier, right? So it's got to be a committed number. And once we have the committed number, then we, again, we got to look at the plan, but that mind part of it, for us to grow at any level, we are going to get challenged on our current paradigm. And Love so once right. we, it's, it's inevitable, right? So that part as the leader has to be able to condition and help that person through these stuck points. Really good. That's, will you say that again? If us to have growth at any level is going to challenge our paradigm. Is that what you said? Yeah, I, it, was, it'll challenge our paradigm genius. at any level, right? And then people get this like, hey, we're going to go to the gym and we're going to learn how to lift. I don't know, pick a number, right? Like back in, back in my day, it was 225 pounds. I wanted to bench press 225 pounds. Why? Because I wasn't really a big guy, but I was always hanging around with the football players in, in high school. And they were always like benching and benching. And I could never get it. I could get 190, 195, 205, right? It drove me nuts. And it still did to that day. And I, I tried for, for eight years on my own to learn how to get to that place. And, and did you one get day that? I was, what was that? Did you get there? Well, yeah, but this is what happened, right? So... So I didn't get there. I could get 220, 222. You know, you'd stick like a one pound weight on each side, right? I just yeah. couldn't get there. So one day I was so frustrated. I went by a Gold's gym and I said, that's it. I'm done. And I pulled into the parking lot and I walked into the place and I said to the lady at the front, do you have trainers? And she said, yes. I said, who's your number one trainer? I don't want number two. I don't want number Let's five. Let's go. I want number one. They said, that's yeah. Jason. I said, I, can I speak to Jason? Oh yeah, he's here. So Jason walks out, he goes, hi, how are you? I said, I want to bench press 225 pounds and I want to do it as fast as I can. He said, okay. So we lie down on the bench. He goes, pick up the bar. I picked up the bar. He said, move the bar. He goes, oh, your, your pecs are a little weak here. Your triceps are a little weak here. We just build those two up and you'll be able to bench press 225 pounds. What did I say to him? Really? That's what I said to him. Really? Right? And this is where it came from. Like, he looked at me and he said, look, do you believe you can do this? <laughs> right? So we had that conversation. And lo and behold, Rob, within under eight weeks, I bench pressed 225 twice. What a killer story. I love that. I love everything about that story for tons of reasons. Uh, tell us, so finish it now, go full loop. You told us that with your bench pressing. What does that mean for salespeople and sales leaders? All right. So if we grew up in an environment and, and I did grow up in this environment, even though I had entrepreneurial roots, yeah. right. To go from blue collar to white collar, which I did, which was what I needed to do in order to get my goal. It was kind of looked down on in my family because my whole family was blue collar. Right. So I remember my, my brother, my oldest brother, he, he went white collar and he was a, an executive vice president for a company. I remember all the family talking about him. No, no good, yuppie, scumbag, you know, that type of thing, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So when I was going there, no, I didn't say that was, you know, uh, 
highly complimentary of my family, but that's that's kind of what the, the, the it was. Now, if he had been in an industrial setting and hadn't been white collar making that kind of money, he would have been fine. And, it, and it's nothing wrong with that. I grew up in that. I still embrace that today. Um, because I look at all people the same, right? No matter what they do, they're all cool. Yep. And um, unless they're jerks, and then they're not cool. Um, but the, <laughs> but when I went that way too, I used to bring my income up to a certain place, and then I would back it down, and I kept going up and backing it down. It was driving me crazy because I am that one percent earner. I'm like, I gotta, you know, I'm over quota still, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, I can do better. I can do better. I can do better. Well, one day I realized it was my family attachment. So every time wow. I would, it would go up, I felt like my family was pulling away from me and that was painful. So I had to learn how that if I go past that point, it's not them, it's me. And a trigger level for me was my first daughter. And so, right? So, cause kids change your life. And so one day I'm walking along and I'm going, okay, I want my daughter to have a way better life than I did. Not because it was bad, but just because I want a better life. And she won. So I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to now make a plan to get to the next level. And I started out saying, I'm just going to raise my income by 10% a year at that point. Hmm. And it, it sounds easy, but when you start making, you know, close to a million dollars a year, and then you got to start raising it by 90 grand a year. hundred grand. Right? Yeah. Right? hundred grand. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of one of those things that it's a mind play, but I had good leaders around me that I hired. And that's something I want to tell uh, people who are selling because one percenters do not rely on their company system. They will go outside that company system and they will pay for it themselves. Let's talk about that. Uh, let, is there anything else on the other thing we're talking about? Or do you want to get into that? Like taking charge of your own development? Yeah, you've got to take charge of your own development. I think that's a, a great way of saying that, Rob. I think we should coin that. You've got to take charge of, we have to take charge of our own development. Because the reality is, if, if somebody's selling in a company and they get comfortably numb, as the Pink Floyd song said, right? If they get comfortably numb <laughs> and they're going... <laughs> For our listeners that get the videos, like because uh, people that go to Sales Leadership United, I put I'll put like five or six clips. They're gonna see this clip of me laughing when you said that because Pink Floyd's one of my favorites, man. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah they're so, great. So let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, keep going. But they're an example of a one percenter, right? Pink yeah. Floyd. <laughs> and so if if somebody gets comfortably numb and they and they're going to that place where they're like, okay, I hit quota, or you know what, I'm doing, I'm making three hundred grand a year, and I'm doing okay. And they're saying this kind of mind chatter, this I'm doing okay. They should listen to themselves on recording because the reality, they go, I'm doing okay. No, you want to do better, but that person just doesn't have whatever in them at that moment to get to the next level. We've got to take charge of our own conditioning at that point. Because if we don't take charge of our own conditioning, we will lead ourselves into mediocrity or worse and stay there. And so if we truly are committed, we truly want the goal. And I would challenge anybody that's listening to this, Rob, to sit down, go take a look at the water or the sunset or take a walk in nature and go, what am I really committed to? Like, no nonsense, but what am I committed to? And if they're committed to becoming more and more and more and get into a 1% earner and then get into the top 1% of the 1% earners, which is very doable, it just takes a lot to, to do. If that's a committed goal, 
There's nothing that can stop that person but their own brain. And that's why we have to take charge of our own conditioning. And, and sometimes we don't even know it's happening, Rob, because it's kind of one of those things like, let's say you grew up in an environment, and I've seen this in, sell, in sales a lot. They grew up in an environment where it was just a constant negotiation. Like everything at the family was a negotiation. You know, Mother goes into the grocery store, negotiates with the grocer on better deals. She gets a better deal, but that she negotiates again, right? And she just walks out of there and going, hey, we just saved a bunch of money. Great thing, right? But the child, you know, the father's doing the same over and over and over and over and over and over. I have seen people close multi-million dollar sales and then start renegotiating after the deal is done. And it's like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? <laughs> Let's go. So, you know, if you grew up in that environment, or you grew up in an environment where everything was talked about, like, this is expensive. Everything is expensive. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You know, um, we to go to on a vacation like that, that's that's so expensive. Right. And, and it was just brought up there. Yeah. You want to go to Harvard University? It's on you, kid. It's too expensive. Right. And they grew up in that environment. But now they enter into the world of selling and now they're selling something that feels expensive to them, our brain will tell us to create a situation that will create language patterns to throw off objections to this is too expensive. You're right. It's that abundance versus scarcity mentality and what you're Absolutely. conditioned to. Yeah. No, like I would love to swap stories with you on that. We could do a whole episode just on that, I think. That's why I was so excited to start with mindset. And I'm really like, I'm pumped the way you let you look at that. I can't believe we're down to like only like less than 15 minutes left. And I want to make sure that we get to the things that you also want to get to because you're this amazing resource. I love it. Like, so we've talked about mindset. Anything else you do on mindset and environment or do you want to move on to something else? Like yeah, I mean, skills, there's a formula. There's a formula. Yeah, let's do that. A, a quick formula. So first it's awareness. Okay. Because the thing is, is these things are developed early on in our childhood and we're doing them over and over and over again to get love and acceptance or to protect ourselves from getting beat up. Right. Yes. So either way, that is called a template of love, whether it was good or not. And so we as human beings try to go back and serve our template of love because we want the love from the people that we got it from or didn't get it from, but should have got it from or whatever. So we develop behaviors over time when we're young in habits. Those habits teach us how to be in a certain way. And then when we get into adulthood, sometimes they serve us and sometimes, frankly, they don't. So those are the ones we've got to kind of undo and redo. Step number one is awareness. Yep. Once we understand what the awareness is, and that's about the truth, not what we subjectively think. <laughs> Which is a whole nother episode, probably. A whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> then it's about identifying what the trigger levels are for those particular, you know, the stimuli that's coming in, or the stimulus that comes in. What are the trigger levels? Do we have a thought or a feeling? We'll understand that pretty quickly. Then it's about interrupting that pattern and, and playing with that pattern, inviting it in. Again, we could do a whole episode on this. So is that number three? Is pattern interruption number three or is that? Yeah, um, so awareness, um, <laughs> sorry. Awareness, uh, understanding the trigger levels. Okay. Yep. Um, then um, once you get the trigger level, it's we got to relax and breathe. That's a good point there. Then the fourth yep. one would be interrupt the pattern. 
interrupt okay. the trigger, right? Then we're going to invite it in. We're going to have a, a, a leisurely tea lunch with it. And we're going to have a conversation. Now, all this is happening in milliseconds. It's like, boom, right? But once yeah. you understand how to do it, then once we get to that place, now we can make a decision. And what we're doing when we interrupt the pattern is when you get, when people get a stimuli, like real quick, like something, something happens, stimulus, whatever. All of a sudden we go, whoa, okay, that feels like this, right? I don't know, it's cold out, right? We feel the cold. Our brain goes into some decision. I gotta go get a coat. I, you know, nah, screw it. I'll get in the car, whatever, right? Um, we make that decision quickly. We do the same thing with business. We do the same thing with communication. It's just that when we make the decision, and we're on habitual autopilot and it's been taking us down the path of, you know, kick me in the face lane. We will continue to keep going down that path until we interrupt and know how to install the new path to take us down to happy, you know, happy uh, drive, if you will. <laughs> and that's yeah. kind of the model that we have to, we must go through. It's a little more involved than that, but that's kind of the, the, the model itself in order to take that and reframe those thoughts and patterns. And I've done this, literally hundreds of times with, with business owners. And I don't know how many times with salespeople, but a lot in, in the pattern, you know, this works for sure. It makes total sense. And so it's probably something that as you develop it, like you said, it happens in microseconds, yes. but I'm guessing you got to be intentional about building this as a competency. Yeah. Like you're intentional about it. And, and yeah. so I, we've got this great pattern down now, this for, this framework, five-step framework, We'll turn that into a video for sure. We got a lot of people that want to be looking at it. Um, of those five things, what's what's is there a hardest one? Is there most? Is it, is it like once you're aware, <laughs> you throw yourself in? Like I love your look, like the laugh on your face. Like I'm yeah. guessing, are they all hard? Is there one? Well, that's no, like they're not. The the hardest one is to understand where to interrupt the pattern. Ah. It's, that that's the hardest one because the trigger level it happens so fast, right? It's so like now we're back to the fight or flight. Now you're saying, no, I'm going to reason instead of fighting or running. I'm going to reason is what you're saying, right? Correct. So what's happening is when we get that initial stimulus, we immediately make a judgment of some sort. And we're now pulling from the past or the future most of the time. So if we're pulling from the past, we're going to have anger, guilt, shame, you know, fear of some sort. If we're pulling from the future, we got worry, anxiety, well, what, ha what happens if this happens or what, you know, and we're doing this all in microseconds. And the reality, is sometimes we can pull from the past and the future all into the present moment. So we're pulling it all in the present moment. That's where people get overloaded. Like, I don't know what to focus on. Right. And <laughs> so what, what ends up happening is we're running up this, this path very quickly. And so we're just like, okay, I need control. Bam. I just go down that path, whatever it is. And normally it's the one we're habituated to do. When we're interrupting this, we're giving the brain a chance to pull it into the present. That, I'm processing that as I listen to you. You're right. I like that. It, it's a way of, I'm trying to put this into a structure because I know our listeners love it. I've said for a long time, there's big doers and there's, and there's big talkers. And in order to be a big doer, you've got to be a big thinker. And sometimes that means you got to be a big talker, but sometimes people don't have that do part. You just gave us a, a way that you can interrupt that rhythm and you can take that big idea in the future and bring it to the present. 
Am I, right. am, I, am I saying that right? You are, because the reality is the future doesn't exist yet, but it can. Yeah. And the past is already gone, but you know, a lot of times we want to revisit. There's nothing wrong with revisiting the past. There are happy memories in the past too. Pull all those in all day long. You know, your body will, well, body chemistry will love that. It's yeah. just all the stuff like, you know, oh, I, I should have done this in the past. I shouldn't have made this decision. It bankrupted me or I got beat up or emotionally beat up or whatever, right? And then we drag that fear into the present. Now we're making the decision based on that fear, not on what reality is. You know, I, I always tell people, if you were in the woods and you heard a bear going growl, you know, and, you know, and you see this grizzly bear running, you know, walking through the woods and then starting to come closer to you. And you're like, heck with this. What are you going to do? Up a tree, right? Because you're just like not going to get eaten. But if the bear could talk and the bear came over and said, hey, buddy, up in the tree, you got a pretty high view. Do you see my wife anywhere? Because I can't find her. We got lost in the woods and she's going to kill me. If I don't, you know, every time I wander off like this, she thinks I'm off with another bear. I'm not, I'm just lost, right? <laughs> Help me out, brother. Right? Yeah, I love <laughs> You'd be it. like, oh, cool. I could come down the tree, right? <laughs> be in the present right. moment. So right. that's kind of what, that's analogous to what happens to human beings in selling situations or even in communication. I mean, I'm sure there's people who listen to this they got in an argument and the argument goes so far. They're like, what are we arguing about? I can't even remember what it was, right? It's like one of those things. And we're down to only five minutes and I need to make sure that you have time to give people the opportunity to talk, to get a hold of you. I think what I want to do is let's give you some time to make sure people know how to get a hold of you, uh, reach out to you, all that stuff. And then we'll have like some final comments because we had a lot of stuff I thought we'd get to like, how do we learn which skills to develop and what's the role of prioritization and what's the role of confidence? We didn't get to any of that. And there's so much more we could do. I, I love this. My, if all we got today was mindset and environment, this was a win. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, uh, Rob. Thank you. Let, let's let's turn it to you for a second. You're going to have a lot of people there. They're going to want to say hi or <laughs> ask questions or, or at very least connect. How do people get more of you? How do they how do they connect to what you're doing? How do they get access to your resources and your way of thinking? All that stuff. Yeah. Well, Rob, I don't know if I told you this or not when we talked uh, uh, before, but I'm just finishing up an ebook now on the 1% nonstop earner. Um, cool. I want to ask if I can get permission, like we're going to sell this, but to your listeners, we'll give it to them gratis. Uh, we'll put a link in our show notes and make it really easy for people to get it for sure. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll do that. And I'll make sure as soon as it's done, we'll get that link to you. Uh, in the meantime, if they want it anyways, they can send an email to, uh, why don't they send it to you matter? Y-O-U-M-A-T-T-E-R at CEO sales my team will pick it up and uh, just say, you know, Rob, uh, you know, give me, give me my book, you know, something like that. <laughs> Love it. And again, we'll put that in the show notes so they don't, so it's easy for them to find for sure. Okay, great. And if they want to reach out to me, I'm Doug at CEO sales Um, And I, I answer all emails uh, LinkedIn. If they want to connect is Doug Brown, one, two, three. Uh, and uh, you know, certainly there as well would be probably the two best places. And certainly they can check it out on, you know, ceosalesstrategies.com. And thank you for the offer for your ebook. I'm sure you'll have a lot of people want to take you up on it. I, I will encourage people as aggressively as I can to take you up on that. I myself cannot wait to read it. Can't wait. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it, you know, I love feedback on it because we put it together and, and if, you know, they like it. Great. If they don't tell me how to make it better. Right. I, I don't have my ego in this. I just want to help people. Well, I love probably it. have some of my ego in this, to be honest with you, but I, you're, mostly. 
<laughs> yeah, but you're a top one percenter. You don't care much. To, you're gonna because you, you'll figure it out. So, so let me let me let's let's wrap this thing up. This has been even better than I thought, Doug. I love. Like, I hope that we can get you come back. You know, again sometime in a few months, and we'll dive into more. I want to give you a few minutes. We do have a few minutes. I'd love to give you a few minutes, to like wrap things up and put a bow on it. So, for all these fifty thousand listeners that want to develop greater salespeople, that want to have better success themselves. You know, that they want to create that environment where people can thrive and not just survive, where we can have a place where people look past the quota and they don't stop at 120%. They keep going until they're out of time, not out of out of quota, right? And uh, any final thoughts for 50,000 leaders that are probably sucking this all up and, and really got a, a, a beautiful surprise for me today? Well, thank you. Um, I, look, intention is the first place, right? I mean, we, we, before we have a thought, we have an intention. And so if we want to develop a 1% earners force, you probably have people that were in your one, that are within your force today that you can up level for one. And, you know, even if you don't have a total, like everybody's a 1% earner, but you can bring the bottom, you know, 20% up 50%. That's a huge amount of win within a company, right? So intention, that would be the first thing, uh, the thing I'd leave you with. What is your intention? Do you, do you just show up every day and you're like, oh, I'm going to just grow the company? Or are you going to just show up and say, okay, we are going to be that 1% in the industry. And if we're going to be that 1% in the industry, then maybe we have to adjust. Maybe you don't, but maybe I would suggest that you probably do have to must adjust something in order to play at that level right so if you want to be a top one percent athlete you're probably not going to eat a lot of candy bars even though you like you know sugar or whatever right because it's just not really what's going to drive the body unless it's at the opportune time so i would go back to the intention and say okay if we're going to do this what do we have to do what must we do in order to make this reality and if you don't know what that is reach out to rob or reach out to myself or whatever, and, and I'll be happy to have that conversation. He is helping salespeople and sales leaders all around the world, overcoming the effects of being comfortably numb. His name is Doug Brown. I am so pumped that we had him on the show today. Uh, you could probably hear it in my voice, this concept of intentionally developing more top one percenters than anybody else is something that fires me up. And I hope it's equally motivating for you. Doug, on behalf of 50,000 listeners all around the world, thank you for your insights. Thank you for your for your, your blueprints. Thank you for firing me up. And for nobody else, thank you for firing me up, man. And, uh, and as I say to everybody, my friend, thank you and happy selling. Thank you, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has lived on Patreon and has grown to be the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Over 450 leadership topics, 270 leadership videos, nearly 50 sales meetings you can use right now, hundreds of audio files, frameworks, decks, paperwork, everything you would ever need to help 
take your leadership up a notch. I'm talking about tools, frameworks, trainings, techniques, and insights from some of the most successful sales leaders in the world. So stop that sundown scramble so many of us do the night before a sales meeting when we're looking for something that the team's gonna find interesting. Erase the guesswork in your leadership development by tapping the largest collection of leadership tools in the world. Whatever your leadership aspirations are, Sales Leadership United will help you get there faster. Frameworks, trainings, ready-to-use meeting materials. Video snippets from this episode with Doug and other elite sales leaders from all around the world. A private podcast where I share what I'm discussing with my clients and much, much more. Listen, people join Sales Leadership United because of the size of the resource library, but with three to five new items being added every single week, people stay because it helps them stay so relevant. Right now, you can find us on Patreon, and for less than the cost of lunch, you can use the tools, trainings, and techniques proven to be successful by some of the most successful leaders in the world. Do yourself a favor. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Doug Brown, what an awesome person. What an awesome conversation. What a killer opportunity to talk to someone who is only in the business of of developing elite top 1% earners. It was so evident from the very beginning of the conversation. Man, Doug is focused. I noticed that right away. I hope you all did as well. For Doug, it's clearly about three things. What people think, how someone acts, and the skills a person intentionally develops. And to me, the word intention is quite possibly the most important word in leadership right now. Because for whatever reason we're involved in the companies we're in, we must be intentionally successful. Something you've heard me mention before, accidentally involved, intentionally successful. Listen, we're coming into the halftime of the 2023 calendar year. For many, it's the halftime of the fiscal year. For others, we're really close to the halftime of the fiscal year. And now's the time to be really intentional about our approach to the second half. We could learn a lot about how to do this just by deconstructing my conversation with Doug. Doug started out with the two things that matter most, his focal points. I don't know if you caught them, but they were the very first thing he mentioned. Number one was client acquisition and number two, increased profits. Everything we do needs to be around either getting more customers or getting more profitable with them. Focus. And what a great example of focus that was to me. The next thing he moved to, and it was very, very quickly, was mindset. And as you're working on your individual halftime observations, whether you're an individual contributor or a leader, You're going to want to make halftime adjustments, just like a football team does or a basketball team does or whatever sport you follow does. Mindset, that's a really important place to start because I think Doug's right. The top one percenters don't even look at quota. They're looking at something beyond that that matters to them for reasons that are important only to them. And if you don't have that attitude of looking beyond the quota, it's going to be tougher than it needs to be. That mindset of deciding what you want and then chasing it down, that's the stuff elite performers are made of. So this is a perfect time to have another enrollment conversation with each member of your team. What are we chasing for the rest of the year? How high can we fly? And then we create an environment that will help us achieve this. It's all about intentionality. Again, that's all I could think about as I spoke with Doug. Intentional mindset, intentional self-talk, intentional skill set, intentional environment, intentional development, intentional action. Take a lesson from one of the top developers of successful salespeople in the world. Be more intentional. 
And if you want to help make your second half better than your first half, start with the things you can be intentional about. Because Doug's right. Nobody can stop you but you. So take the time to consider your areas to be more intentional about as a leader and as a team. Be as intentional about your halftime adjustments as you can be. And whatever you do, don't fall into that work hard, cross your fingers, and hope camp. Because too many do. It isn't enough to just work hard anymore. We've got to be intentional. So ask yourself, what do you want for the second half? Doug, thank you so much for joining me. I love your work. I appreciate you sharing your insights with us today. It was a fantastic conversation and one I'm so happy to share with sales leaders all around the world. I hope every leader who listens to this takes your model and becomes a more intentional leader. Listen, this was a fantastic conversation with Doug. I recommend you go back and listen to it again and take notes. And then I recommend you take my advice and you connect with him. Reach out to Doug with questions. Grab his book. I'm looking at it right now. It's a great read. Take advantage of his resources. We've got links in our show notes to make it easy for you to connect and take advantage of what Doug has to offer. And trust me, you'll be glad to be connected with Doug Brown. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners, the greatest compliment you can give is to share the show with those you work with. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to Patreon and check it out. I promise you'll be glad you did. Thank you for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people you lead. If you like this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it. And then get after it this week because life is short. You got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today. Be elite. Live strong. Chase your passions. Do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget, you got this and I got you. Have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.